Okay. Adrian, we've got a, a special guest here with us. Yes, we do. I'm so excited. Uh, Lily Adams, who was Senator Kamala Harris's campaign's communications director. She was uh, the senator's official communications director. She was a senior communications strategist on the Hillary Clinton campaign in 16. She's worked for Tim Kaine. She's worked for Ted Strickland. Down the line, she's done just about anything you can in Democratic politics. DNC. Yep, the DNC. Um, and now she is a fellow at the uh, Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service. So we can add professor to her list of accomplishments. <laughs> um, but uh, Lily Adams, welcome to the electables. It's Thank so you. We are so happy to have you. Good way to kick off 2020. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we went through Lily, your very ginormous resume, a very top line version of your ginormous resume. But what we want to talk to you about today is something that's very timely and something that you have a significant level of expertise in, and that is Iowa, the Iowa caucuses. You were Hillary Clinton's communications director in Iowa during the 2015-2016 campaign. Um, So I just want to, I guess, start off by asking you, tell us about the Iowa caucus, how it works. If you are an Iowan and it's February 2nd and you say, tomorrow's the caucus, I want to participate in this caucus, what do you need to do in order to make this happen? And then tell us about the actual caucus night itself. Where do you have to show up? How do you know where to go? Um, how long do you have to stay? Just give us a top line details. So the caucus has been in place since the 70s. And basically what it is, it's meant to be a basic, you know, sort of dispersed town meeting. So there are, I think it's now 1,600 precincts or so mm-hmm. all across Iowa. Um, and folks gather and you show up, you, you know, sometimes there's like a kind of pre-registration now thing that you can do, but also you can show up on caucus night. You don't have to be registered. Uh, you have to be 18 by election day, 2020. And really quickly, sorry to interrupt, but if you show up on caucus night and you haven't registered yet, how do the, um, registrants, how do they know that you are an actual Iowan? So there's like, I think there's a reg, I got, I have to remember this from four years ago, but they basically will check once you're in there but I think the idea that there's like people coming in from Illinois which I know was a a tough <laughs> sore spot maybe from mm-hmm. uh, the 20 uh, 2007 mm-hmm. 2008 caucus cycle but we won't go there but um, <laughs> but really this is like this is Iowans showing up to their VFW hall or to their church or to their community center and basically they start this thing which is called the caucus process now this year there will be something that's very different which is there'll be about 140 um, sort of remote caucus locations too, which will be outside of Iowa, including I think in multiple countries and things like that. That'll be a whole new complication. That wow. I do not. I do not. Um, I don't think it's going to go super smoothly, but we'll see. It's the first time. But the idea is to make it a little bit more easy to participate if you're an Iowan who lives overseas or um, lives somewhere else. But in and any if case, you sorry again to yeah. interrupt, but if you if you are participating in a remote caucus like that in in let's say the UK, does your participation count the same as it would if you were actually in Iowa caucusing? So I think the way that they've decided to do it, and this has been negotiated with Iowa Democratic Party for a long time, Mm -hmm. is that those caucuses will count toward a certain amount of state delegate equivalents. Got it. And so the other confusing thing, 
because it's not confusing enough, <laughs> right. is that this time for the first time, there will be two numbers that are released on caucus night, which will make it incredibly complicated for the press to tell you who won or who lost. There will be the state delegate equivalents, which is like, how many delegates did you win out of Iowa? Mm-hmm. And then there will be the raw vote total, which has never been reported out before. Um, so in theory, you could have two winners on caucus night. You could have someone who won the most delegates and you could have someone who won the most people. Fascinating. Which will be complicated as really what Iowa does is it kind of kicks off the, the whole primary process and tells you who has momentum, who has, you know, all those intangible sort of communications buzzwords that we use going mm-hmm. into New Hampshire in the rest of February. Um, but it will be chaotic. Um, so what happens when you actually go in, when Adrienne Alrod, who lives in Johnson County, goes into her caucus location, she goes into her preferred uh, candidate's corner, uh, and then they take a first vote. They mm-hmm. see how many everybody's got. You've got to hit 15% to get any, you know, to be a basically 15% a qual- of people in the room. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. So okay. 15% of people in the room to get any amount of, you know, sort of uh, relevance coming out of that partition, you know, that one of the 1600 right. precincts, right? And then they mm-hmm. all report up and so on and so forth. But in any case, let's, it's easier to deal in the micro. So you, you know, say I, I support Elizabeth Warren or I support Joe Biden. And let's say that you support Elizabeth Warren. And let's say that she gets 20% of the vote. At that point, you're locked in. You don't participate in the right. second round. But anybody who supports candidates who did not make 15%, those folks are up for grabs. So then you, standing in Elizabeth Warren's corner or wherever, are sort of advocating for Andrew Yang's supporters to come over and join you for the second round to try to bump up the amount of state delegate equivalents that are going to come out of that precinct. Mm-hmm. So it's complicated. It's complicated yeah. and it's messy. And it's But the idea, the whole idea around the caucus is that it sort of rewards enthusiasm for a candidate. It rewards organizing for a candidate. And so the idea is that you stand up in a room and you advocate loudly to your neighbors and your friends and the people you're at church with and the people you see at the grocery store and say, um, I think that so-and-so will be the best nominee for the Democratic Party. And it's, you know, that's that. And how long do you usually have to stick around? How long does this take? Like 20 minutes? 30 so minutes? So it, de- wow. it depends. It <laughs> I depends. Know, I'm, I'm I mean, this, this, yeah. this, this is the, pr- I mean, this is, there's 1,600, you know, precincts. Um, you know, you you definitely want to like feel for the people who are at the Iowa Democratic Party who are trying to make sure you've got sixteen hundred plus locations. You've got sixteen hundred people who are gonna like take names at the door. You've got mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's like a logistical nightmare. Right. So some caucuses go really quick, some caucuses go really long. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, like so like it can they've they've done things to try to make it go quicker mm-hmm. this time around. Um, like they basically have like a kind of TSA pre-check, you know, like for, to register because like it can take a long time if you've got a huge, you know, huge room of folks in, for instance, in a highly democratic area, like in Johnson, uh, in Johnson County, um, that's like a highly democratic area. You're going to have big caucuses with hundreds of people in it. It's going to take forever. So, and you can't start the caucus until everybody's registered. Or you may go to, like, western Iowa where less Democrats live. And so if you're in a smaller caucus, you can register everybody, like, pretty quickly. And you get through the caucus very quickly. But it it varies. Yeah. It varies. Yeah. I remember I caucused in 2000. It was the – it was like – Where? In Iowa, in Des Moines. Were you a resident of Iowa? I was at the time. Really? Yeah. I didn't caucus in 2016, but I could could have. Yeah, no, I I, I switched my – you know, I – 
registered to vote in Iowa and yeah, man, I lived there basically a year. I was like ready to caucus, but I was in the it was, room. But it was an, it was a, say you were working. Yeah, it was a really it <laughs> you was had a big uh, job. You were working. <laughs> it was a, it was a I mean it's a really interesting and it's a the process is really fascinating. Sometimes the one I was at I remember took like two and a half hours because they do a lot of party business before they actually yes. do the um, separating into groups. And so you got to go through and, you know, I was there. I was like, I just want to get to, you know, I just want to get into it. And they, you know, there's like an hour's worth of party business they have to go through. Yeah. With a lot of people, it's like where they do some of their, they've got to elect a new chair or they, I mean, this is is like their big night. So it was like good turnout. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So who are the, who are the five, like not, I don't need a number, but like who are some of the people that our listeners should follow uh, if they really want in-depth information on Iowa? So that's a good question. Um, so the first person I would say is like, you got to follow the dean of the Iowa Press Corps, who's Kay Henderson, who has been in Iowa for a long time. And if you're ever in Iowa, look her up and ask her a million questions because she has been a part of every caucus. I think one of the problems, this has happened in Des Moines and it also happens in state capitals all over the country, is that the statewide press corps has really like thinned out. Um, so there mm-hmm. are still some great reporters um, at the Des Moines Register, um, like Brianne, who you should follow. Mm-hmm. Um, you should follow Clay Masters, who's at Iowa Public Radio. Um, but it is really hard um, when you have like a, you know, this kind of statewide press corps that's thinned out a lot. Um, mm-hmm. There are also some really great kind of democratic bloggers and activists, I would say definitely follow Pat Reinard, who's got Iowa starting line, which mm-hmm. kudos to him. It started um, last cycle and really has, I think, become like something yeah. a lot of folks in D.C. follow. He's got really good insight and has mm-hmm. a big team now that's on the ground. So I would start there. Got anything? <laughs> um, so tell me about uh, in 2016, as we said, you were the communications director and for, in Iowa. Tell me about the night before, mm-hmm. because I remember what it was like the night before of when I was in Iowa. And I, I think we all have different sort of uh, f- memories of like how we feel before the election. But tell me about how you felt the night before the caucuses. Like what was going through your mind? Was there like, a you know, what was what was the thing that was keeping you up at night? I'm just curious, like what like what were you thinking about before before the uh, caucuses started? You know, I think that the certainly what I was thinking about was like, I mean, I think what we were all thinking about on Hillary's race in particular was that Iowa was such an important in that race proving ground for her. It was like where all the demons of 2008 were. There was like right. a lot of lore, right, that was yep. all built up around Iowa. And so I just kept thinking, like, if we can get out of here with a win, like, that is all that matters. Um, and so you're trying to just – you know, think about things that, of course, you have no control over, like, are all the packets out to our 1,600 people? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, all those things that you've been seeing paper just fly out of the headquarters. I mean, they call it packet land, basically, where you have, like, a box for each, you know, precinct and a bunch of stuff goes in it. But you're thinking about that. I think the other thing that you're thinking about, and certainly folks, you know, who had my have my job now um, in this cycle should be thinking about, especially with this two kind of two scorecard, you've got like apples and oranges coming out of Iowa with the raw vote total and the delegate equivalents is what is my spin, you know, going to be to the press because you hopefully have an idea of, I would think, 
which of those two numbers you are most likely to prevail in. And it's probably not both. And so what you want to be doing in the days leading up to the caucus is emphasize the one that you think is the most important. So, right. for example, it's it's possible that Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders could run up the score in university towns and really capture that raw vote total. So then I would spend my if that's true, I don't know, I'm not in their war room, but if that's true, I would spend the week leading up to the caucus emphasizing to reporters and to talkers and things like that how important that will be. If I'm Joe Biden, who is probably more likely to just sort of have broad support, maybe not bouncing off the charts all over the place, but broad support across the state, maybe I'm emphasizing more of the state delegate equivalents. And so you just have to be thinking about, in particularly in this kind of weird two-tier game here, yeah. what am I telling reporters to look for? What towns do I feel the strongest about, you know, especially when reporters are saying, where should I go for caucus night? Where am I pushing them? Because I know that that's a good, strong area for us. Um, where am I pushing TV crews too to do their live shots? Mm-hmm. Because if you've got like some very strong precincts, that's where I'm going to try to send embeds right. or push embeds to go. Um, so I think that's all you're trying to do is emphasize the day of coverage, because here's the crazy thing. Much like election day, but even more so that caucus day, you've got all day. where people are thinking about the caucus. It doesn't start until the evening. So you've got every surrogate you can think of on radio in the morning. You've got everybody you can on noon news. You've got everybody you can trying to do these 5 o'clock live shots because there's no early vote. People got to go. So you were trying to, like, figure out how am I just, like, plastering my candidate's face all over every piece of, you know— online space or TV that I can. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, Lily, let's talk a little bit about election night in 2016 that we all certainly recall. Um, Hillary Clinton declared victory, had this, you know, amazing speech, ended up narrowly winning um, by two delegates. But it was really kind of, it was was a close night. Can you sort of unpack Mm -hmm. this for our listeners? Yeah, I think that the um, it was a close night. It was a very close caucus. I think the closest there's ever been. Like 0.03% um, it was like, or yeah, something. Yeah, 0.3%, something like that. Not that I'm counting. Um, <laughs> but I think it's important um, because it this will is like a kind of whatever um, signs to come, which is that the Sanders campaign used, because it was such a close margin, we started hearing about coin flips and all sorts of like wacky stuff that the, can- that the Sanders campaign was using to muddy the waters, to try to call it a tie, to try to take away the win from her, which is, that's their job. That's mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be doing. So now imagine that we've got now more candidates this cycle. We've got a very kind of clustered four or so candidates at the top. We've got now two different metrics of winning. And so if muddying the waters is the thing that the number two in both of those metrics is going to try to do as much as possible, there's going to be just mud flying everywhere because everybody's going to be trying to figure out how they claim some kind of victory. And so what the Sanders campaign was able to do somewhat, which was like point to coin flips and say that 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 was how Hillary had won the caucus or or point to this or that, um, you know. People are going to try to do that. That's their job. That's sure. people like me or you's job is they're going to try to say, well, you know, who cares about the delegates? What matters is like the enthusiasm that we're seeing from people showing up. Mm-hmm. The people on the delegate side are going to say, who cares about people showing up? It's about getting delegates. That's how you win the nomination. So yep. we will see a lot of that back and forth um, from certainly the two top you know, winners of those two metrics, but also from the people who are second and third in those in those metrics as well. Well, I was going to say on that note, Lily, so talk to us a little bit about 
and it's, I think it's going to be certainly, I would argue, well, it's certainly going to be more important this time around than it was in 2016 to the point that you made about being more there being more candidates in the race. But talk to us about the process by which campaigns go after that, you know, the, the second choice, you know, the, so so mm-hmm. that when you so that you can make sure that it, in the caucus, if your candidate does not reach 15 percent. Or if your candidate does, but somebody else doesn't, how do you, what's the process that you undertake to try to get those people who don't achieve 15% in your corner? For example, I think Secretary Castro today endorsing Elizabeth Warren, Mm -hmm. even though he was polling very low in Iowa, that Mm -hmm. probably has to help to an extent because whomever his supporters are will hopefully, he can help corral them into Elizabeth Warren's corner. Yeah, I think this is important. And I would say two things. On the first is that you want to have caucus leadership. So You want to have, ideally, in a precinct, you want to have a precinct captain. You want to have other caucus leaders, basically, Mm -hmm. who have gone through trainings normally. Um, And those are your people who are your, like, they're your ambassadors in the room, right? And hopefully the people that are in that job for you are, like, you know, the mom at the PTA meeting who knows everybody and knows everybody's kids and knows, you know, where Mm -hmm. they go to school and all Mm -hmm. that. Like, people who have deep ties to the community are really good and who are very outgoing, who are very outspoken. Um, you do not who have want done people. This before. Yeah, you do like less ideal is like someone who moved there six months ago, who's like kind of <laughs> jazzed about you, but kind of decided late right. and has never gone through a training. So you want your like, but your best team in the field. The second thing, which is again different this time around, is that you actually have less people who are up for grabs. It used to be that everybody was up for grabs on the second ballot, but now that. Anybody who is with a candidate who's made threshold, so like your, your probably your Warrens, your Bidens, your Bernies, your Pete's, those folks are likely going to be all be locked up. So if I'm Pete or Warren or whoever, one of those top tier campaigns, the most valuable people I can be talking to as people who might come to me in realignment are a Castro supporter or mm-hmm. are maybe a Booker supporter who might not make it. Or are an Amy Klobuchar supporter who might, you know, she might not make it in every caucus or a Yang, whatever. It's not useful to me if I'm the Pete Buttigieg campaign to be talking to people who love Joe Biden and love me second best. That, yeah. Those folks are going to be locked up. Like, that's done. Right. So it, it does, it becomes like a really, you know, the pool of people that they want to talk to is going to be smaller and smaller and smaller. It's fascinating. Um Iowa does entrance polling. New Hampshire does exit polling. Um, yes. Entrance polling in caucuses actually is an interesting uh, – I've not completely understood why they do entrance polling and not exit polling because someone could enter a caucus as a Yang supporter. For sure. But at the end of the day, they would leave being a Biden supporter. For sure. So do you have any idea why they do entrance polling? I mean, my guess is that so it's something that TVs have something to talk about earlier in the night. So they're not waiting for, you know, all their exit polls to come back. But I could be wrong. I don't I don't know where it all originated from. I would say and it's full conjecture, but this is why we have podcasts. Um, I bet the entrance polling will be far, you know, more indicative and far more correct probably than previous years because there are less people who are up for grabs because those folks at the top who are supporting those top candidates are not going to be free in realignment. So it's not like you're going to see, right. you know, in realignment, like all of people who judge supporters go over to Biden to and push him over 15%. the edge. Yeah. And so I, I, there's just there's not going to be a huge amount of movement would be my guess yeah. in most in most caucuses. Um, you'll see, you know, some folks on the second ballot, you know, go here or there, but it's not going to make a massive statistical difference. 
Uh, so you ran, as we've said, you've ran, you ran comms for uh, Clinton in Iowa in 2016, and then you ran the entire communications operation for Kamala Harris in 2020. What lessons did you take from 2016 that impacted how you set up your Iowa operation in 2020 for Harris? I think that um, you know it's a very different race with such a diverse field, as in there's just like more candidates. Um, so I think one is like I hired people in Iowa who, um, just for lack of a better term, I knew were just going to hustle harder <laughs> and they were going to work harder and outwork folks to um, get folks to cover her. Um, in when we were obviously when we were working for Hillary, we had less of that issue. I mean, she was the preemptive front runner for most of the campaign, things like that. People wanted to cover her. We didn't have a coverage amount problem. Um, the second thing I would say is that we really did put a bigger emphasis on what was cable saying and how was cable going to interact with what Iowans were saying because. I will say that, again, this is a problem that we're seeing across the country with sort of the reductions of local news, things like that, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, Iowa caucus goers are like, they are hardcore Dems. These are like, you're talking max 300,000 people who are going to show up to this thing in a state of 7 million, I think something like that, right? So they, you know, these are like Rachel Maddow loving devoted followers <laughs> like you know they know what Joe Scarborough just said they, you know and in a race like this which is different than 2015 2016 where they know that Trump is the person the candidate is going to go have to go up against right they are trying to make a like a much more and I'm putting informed in quotation marks because I don't think the pundits are always right um, they mm-hmm. are trying to get in all the sort of smart people who are saying things on the television, all that stuff in their brain. And so cable has had such an outsized impact, I think, on this particular primary, even more than it did um, mm-hmm. in, you know, in Iowa for Clinton. But frankly, it had a pretty big impact in Iowa for Clinton sure. um, that I think that, you know, we probably didn't appreciate at the time. That's such a good point. Um, so Lily, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you are talking to a lot of folks I know on the ground in Iowa. I'll put her on the spot. Okay. What do you, who do you think has the best ground game? And I mean, who do you think has the best shot um, or people that have the best shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think there's some, um, I'll just give a, a couple of like points. I think one, I think it's been widely, I think accepted and recognized that Elizabeth Warren put a team on the ground far earlier than anybody else. Um, her state director, Janice Rottenberg, who worked for Hillary uh, in 2015, 2016, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I say this because I tried to hire her for Kamala. She's great. <laughs> um, and so she has a really solid team that has been doing organizing for a very long time now, mm-hmm. basically a year now plus. Uh, and I don't think any of the other campaigns can say that. I think Bernie's advantage is that he's got folks in that state who will just walk over hot coals for him and who are going to come out. Come hell or high water, come hail, come, you know, come snowstorm, <laughs> which there was a snowstorm last caucus night. Um, and so he has that kind of enthusiasm, like, you know, really like fire in the belly folks who are going to come out for him. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say, I think Pete, um, some of the smartest people, or one of the smartest people I worked with um, on Hillary's race, Michael Halley, mm-hmm. um, is in the Pete headquarters, who was our caucus director um, and who I think probably more than most understands 
the really kind of the dynamic of having multiple things read out on caucus night. He, right. Intricately, he was there for Obama in 2007, 2008. So he really has done the caucus a number of times. And so what you really do want are people who it is not a glamorous process to right. understand the Iowa caucus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only becomes useful like once every four years. Yep. But you really do need people who have done it multiple times, who understand where you can find that little bit of edge. Um, and then lastly, I think that Biden, he's not going to see the kind of like high intensity, I think, that others are going to see. But I think he probably has. And I think he's shown a pretty like good durability of folks across the state. Right. Where I think he has a good chance of like making threshold in most precincts, which I think is going to it's going to be important. And Lily, do you think um, because I, I think this, but I want to get your thoughts. Do you think that there is a chance that the person who has the most delegates, the candidate with the most delegates out of the first four states going into Super Tuesday is actually maybe somebody who didn't win any of the states, maybe somebody who hovered around second place, like like in theory, um, an Elizabeth Warren. If Elizabeth Warren doesn't win any of, the, any of the first four, but she has such an organized ground game, do you see a scenario sort of going back to your, you know, figure out the lane that makes the most sense for you and message mm-hmm. appropriately in that space? Um, do you see a scenario potentially where someone comes out of those first four with the most delegates who actually didn't win a state? It's it's very possible that somebody comes out of the first four with the most delegates who didn't win a state. What I think is probably more important, which is 40% of the delegates get awarded, I think, on Super Tuesday, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. That's correct. And so what's harder is that you do need to show some kind of victory somewhere to yeah. kind of slingshot yourself into Super Tuesday. And so, I mean, this was certainly true for Hillary. There's just not a way to organize like traditional door knocking, no disrespect to organizers, but this is just true right. in states like Texas and California, um, in states like Florida, which votes in mid middle of March. So you really do need like some kind of like press momentum that is going right. to kind of get you through these states. I mean, when we I saw today that Michael Bloomberg hired 500 people in March states. That's fine. I saw your tweet. But yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to like organize in March states in a way that is going to be so effective that it's going to make up for like no a press coverage difference. for the first four weeks of the caucus. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the first four weeks of the primary. So I think you just it's very possible. You're correct. It could be that the person with the most delegates. I just don't think that the person who is going to be, let's put it this way. I don't think the person who's going to be the eventual nominee of the party is somebody who didn't win any states in the first yeah. four contests. Okay. That's what I think you could probably take to the bank. Yeah, I, I think that's, good that's rationale. right. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think Bloomberg would tell you that, you know, he's sort of, he's, he is making up for whatever he's losing in terms of our media with his $100 million yeah. ad buy. Um, We're going to find out how much we'll TV how much can that, buy you. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be fascinating. And, yeah. Fascinating. Um, so would. we've got, it's 28 days, 28 days I until know. the Iowa caucuses. I know. Um, That's exciting. How's it feel to be off the, off the trail? It feels okay. It feels, um, certainly I feel better rested than I've felt in about three <laughs> years or so. Um, but I think it's, you know, it, this is like a really interesting time. The only thing I, I tell folks about Iowa, which I certainly remember from um, 15 and 16, is like once you get back from the new year, 
stuff just is very volatile those last four right. weeks. Stuff, I mean, Ads when and we were stu- and time stops. Yeah, and like slows I mean, down the, I, like a, I I probably should go back and look, but I think when we were in November, I think we're still like up double digits on Bernie in Iowa. And so just people decide late and it is kind of a peer pressure enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. People want to be with a winner, they're going to like talk to their friends and so stuff can just really change very quickly. Um, because again, you're talking about a universe of, that's so small. Yeah, of three hundred thousand people. Right. So, and they're all talking to each other. On exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> they're all they're all chatting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Lily, one final question from me. Um, tell us what your favorite food is at the Iowa State Fair. Oh man. And are, do you miss it? I mean, you I mean, may Iowa State Go back I, next year. And I get highly some. recommend the Iowa State Fair. It it's a blast. Um, I love funnel cake. Um, and it's very good at the Iowa State Fair. There's also there's also a great like craft beer tent at the Iowa State mm, Fair. Nice. That's just like you can kind of like hang out <laughs> and just like plant yourself and kind of like watch the whole thing um, go by. But um, I do highly recommend it. It's like it's a very kind of unique Iowa experience. So if the caucus continues, like we'll all be Have back. Have you had a Twinkie for eight years? If the caucus continues. Well, I, I mean, this happens every year where they're going to talk about. I'm yeah. sure again we want to get rid of like, the caucus. Do we do we keep the caucus? Do we t- do we keep Iowa first? All those things. Um, those will still continue to be conversations that are had. And, and I think some of it depends on how well the caucus is run. And I know that the people at the party feel that that like very heavy burden on their shoulders. Well, and on that note, I think you sort of answered your question, but do you see a scenario where, let's say, the caucus is not run well, especially with this virtual, you know, overseas caucus, you know, you can caucus in different places, if that ends up sort of screwing things up, like, do you see a scenario in the next four years with the push for diversity in our party and um, the feeling maybe that Iowa does not truly represent the will of the overall electorate and has too much influence on the actual process, given the fact that it is largely a non-diverse state. Do you see a scenario where Iowa loses its first-in-the-nation caucus status? It, it's hard for me to see that happen, although it is possible. Um, I sort of I view this like how I view, you know, like the bar for lawyers like mm-hmm. lawyers hate the bar if you ever talk to lawyers they're like that's a terrible sort of measure of whether you can be a lawyer or not but we all had to take the bar so now you have to take the bar <laughs> you know like if you've done it you just want everybody to have to go through that hello shore deal it's kind of the same thing about Iowa which is like we've run the gauntlet we've been through everybody's living room we've like done the state fair we've done all these things that are so difficult um you know so they'll want the, like if the process helped make you president it's going to be very unlikely that a Democratic president tries to change it. Right. Would be my guess. Yep. Yep. Good point. Well, on that note, Lily Adams, Professor Adams, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to uh, – you're, 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 I'm, 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 I'm really excited some of the classes you're, you're teaching this year. Yeah, you want to talk about your – I know it's going to be fun. We're Georgetown gonna, IOP. We're going to follow the um, – we're going to follow the primary in real time. It just the, It starts in February, and then it's basically every week – and we're going to try to talk, you know, make sense of what's going on with, I'm sure, some, like, kids who are in this class who are going to be brighter than I am who have new ideas and I think are watching it probably for the first time. Um, so we'll talk about everything. We'll talk about, like, how do you actually win the nomination? It's actually not through, you know, usually the February contest. It's going to be through the March contest. Where mm-hmm. it, how do you talk about delegates? We're going to talk about crisis communications. We're going to talk about party conventions, which is a whole other thing that will come later in the year. Right. Um, so it'll be nice that we can, you know, sort of follow this in real time and, talk, you know, kind of analyze it as we go go on, talk about debates Stuff like that. Exciting, exciting stuff. And Lily, if people want to follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Adams Lily. 
Great. It's just reversed. Just reversed. And yeah. that's one L in yeah. L-I-L-Y. Two L's total. Two but L's. Yeah, one, but yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I got you, Doug. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the Electables. Anytime. Uh, we should. We should definitely should have you back. Maybe right before. Uh, right before. Uh, I sensed a little bit of skepticism. We should definitely. Yeah, I mean, think of that. We should probably definitely. I don't know. I mean, we'll have that. We should definitely have Lily back anytime she wants to join us. You guys are Lily a hot ticket. Adams you guys back. are a hot ticket. No, she's she's been fantastic. Thank you so much. I learned a ton too. I um, did too, and I think Lily is again. It's for our listeners. You know, part of what we try to do on this podcast is unveil the mystery of what actually happens what, what, the, what the machinations are what the process looks like and I think you really shed insight into how the very complicated oftentimes um, mysterious Iowa caucus process works so You're thank you kind. for that thanks guys thanks Lily for my partner in crime Adrian Elrod this is Doug Thornell and this has been The Electables we'll catch you next time